The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart, who is the president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Judith. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Let's just start with a bit of your background and just tell us a little bit about the basics of what uh, what we'll call PFEEF uh, is, is about, and then we're going to get into the de- in more detail about this whole subject. Okay. Um, well, I've been uh, in the personal finance arena for about 30 years. My background is in teaching, and I have a, a law degree, and actually I'm a member of the D.C. Bar. Uh, and uh, my basic um, involvement has been in looking at how people manage their money day to day, and that's really what the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation is concerned about as well, that uh, people aren't handling their finances well and that it would be a benefit to employers to provide them with financial education in the workplace. So let's go into the situation right now in the workplace. Um, what is the level in general, of employee financial education, not only as it relates to retirement plans like 401Ks, but budgeting and uh, having enough insurance and their credit scores, is it improving or, or getting worse, you think? Actually, it's improving. If one might say there was a silver lining to the uh, financial uh, crisis that we went through, it uh, enabled employers to really see the impact of people not handling their finances well on the corporate productivity. And so as a result, we've seen within the last couple of years that the number of employers providing financial education uh, beyond the 401K aspect of putting money away for retirement but handling the finances on a day-to-day manner has gone from about 20 to 30%. So what are some of the things that employers are doing uh, to improve financial education of their employees? Well, they're looking at it in a number of ways. Of course, there's the traditional uh, approach, if you will, uh, that, that's been around for, you know, probably since time immemorial of providing workshops on an in-person basis uh, so that, that people have the opportunity to interact in a classroom setting uh, with a, an expert on finances. Uh, there is something now that's come into vogue within the last few years called money coaching, which is a one-to-one opportunity for employees to get help on a personal issue that they may have with regard to handling their finances. Um, and often this is done through uh, an EAP, an employment assistant, uh, employee actually, assistant uh, plan. 
Uh, and then, as well as everybody knows, the world is going to online. So there have also been developed online programs to educate people about handling our, their finances. And the advantage of those is that they can be accessed at the time that is convenient for an employee as opposed to a specific lunchtime or after-work meeting. My sense of those employee assistance plans is, uh, and the money coaching is it's pretty much for people in trouble. It's not uh, preventive. It's not educational. It's kind of crisis-oriented. Is that uh, correct? Well, it depends on the question that people ask. Um, you know, often uh, people who call an employee assistance plan are people who are in trouble. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> it's too often the case that people don't, look at how they're handling their finances until they're in trouble. And, and so that is, is often the kind of question they they call about. But with, with money coaching, for instance, they may call because they're uh, interested in buying a house, for example, and may have questions related to, you know, mortgages and, and get some mortgage counseling. So, it, it, well, it's true that a lot of the people who call in this kind of situation are in some kind of um probably, you know, a situation where they have a lot of debt, that isn't necessarily the case. Now, particularly as it relates to retirement, because that's what most people think of as employee benefits is 401K and profit sharing and pension plans, those kind of things. Um, are, are most people doing a good job of saving enough for retirement uh, through their employee uh, plans or not really? Uh, not really is, is the answer. In fact, what I think is hard for people to anticipate is just how much money they're going to need in retirement, even if the rule of thumb is you only need 80%. And, and personally, uh, my theory is that you need 100% because actually if you're not working in retirement, and although now there are more people who work part-time in retirement, you still have, if you're in good health, more time to do those things where you end up spending money, like going to the movies or going out to lunch or even taking a trip. And therefore, you need you need money to do those kinds of things. And, and Social Security certainly isn't going to cover that kind of expense. Uh, so we see, in fact, I was looking at a study today that says that only uh, people have only about, 60, well, about $70,000 in their 401ks, um, and if they have an IRA, they may have $200,000. But the, but uh, an organization like the Employee Benefits Research Institute says you really need to have at least $500,000, which is a substantial sum of money uh, for people to save for retirement. So is the problem that people are not uh, investing enough or not putting aside enough of their paychecks or they're not getting good returns or... Or why is it that their uh, savings, retirement savings balances are too low? Well, um, probably given what's happened in the in the last couple of years is a combination. I mean, what we have seen in terms of investing is that we're about even to where we were before the financial crisis in terms of, uh, you know, in general how much people have in, in the market. But the other problem is they don't, save the percentage that they could be saving even in a 401k. You can save up to 15% in a 401k, and and most people aren't doing that. In fact, there are a lot of people who aren't even getting the match, although now with uh, the more um, common situation where you have automatic enrollment to 401ks, 
uh, it is more likely that people will be putting in at least a percentage, whether it's 3 or 4% or, or whatever it happens to be for that uh, company to get the match. What would you recommend that people save uh, as far as what they can afford? What percentage is optimal to put aside in their 401k? It's realistic as well based on they have to live as well in the current uh, time and to balance both needs. Right, and, and, and you know, uh, I guess, again, the, the sort of the, the, the going uh, analysis is about 10%, but it really depends on how people live. And as we well know, uh, even given the variances in income that people have, uh, some people live beyond their lifestyle and, and really need to cut back, and, and some people know how to handle their money and, and live uh, below their lifestyle, have money available to put at least 10% into a 401k. So are you concerned that a lot of baby boomers who are just starting to retire now, who've had 401ks for the last 30 years or so, are going to be in trouble? They're going to run out of money? They just not put enough aside? They don't have time to make up for it at this point? Well, that is an issue. Uh, and in, one of the, the sort of the... Um, what do I want to say? The the reverse side of that, if, if you will, is that more baby boomers uh, see retirement as not a place to give up working entirely. In fact, m- many baby boomers, even if they don't feel that they have to work in retirement, although maybe they, they should be good so they haven't really looked at what their situation is, um, and are in the kinds of jobs where they can work beyond um, 65 or 66 or whatever their retirement age uh, happens to be with the with the changes in Social Security, uh, are choosing to work because they're getting satisfaction from the value of working. And, and that really is an advantage because, as you have suggested, uh, there are many baby boomers who have not saved sufficient to live the way they would like to live. Social Security, as valuable as it is and as important as it is, uh, and even if there is, uh, are some defined benefit um, pension plans that, that help people, um, often uh, or, or more than often is not going to be enough to, to really uh, enable people to live in a, in a comfortable lifestyle. So what would you recommend for an employee who uh, wants to put aside the correct amount and allocate it well? What kind of tools uh, are available, even if their own employer does not offer specific seminars or something? What tools are available, even through the foundation, uh, to help people figure out the right amount to invest and how to allocate it? Well, um, our function really is to work with employers. We do have on our website a way to go to different resources where there are sites that look at how to um, educate people to handle their money properly on an individual basis. One of those sites is the American Savings Education Council, and they have what's called the ballpark estimate where you can uh, put in uh, the basics of, in terms of what you have now, what your situation was with regard to your income and um, how much you would like to have in retirement and what kind of Social Security you expect to get based on your income, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, AARP also has a calculator which enables you to do that. And there are various other calculators on the website as well that uh, help people at least get some sense of how much money they're going to need in retirement. Unfortunately, this isn't a hard and fast science because 
as we well know, you can't predict exactly what the market is going to do in terms of investments, which, you know, given the 401k, uh, where, uh, where most of our money is. Uh, do you think in general, though, you're saying people are underestimating uh, how much money they're going to need in retirement and underestimating uh, how much they therefore need to be contributing? Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They they just don't realize. I mean, you even if you have a substantial amount of money, people's life expectancy is 90, 95 years. And, uh, you know, even if you retire at 70, that's 15 or 20, uh, well, 20 or 25 years that you're going to have to live on Social Security plus whatever um, investment you have. And so, you know, um, that $500,000, you can't spend all at once. You can only spend, in fact, what the, the financial advisors generally say is that you shouldn't take out more than 4% a year from your, uh, from your investments. Um, so that's, that's really, you know, a, a small percentage. And some are even saying, given the market and what you can predict, that you should take out less than 4% a year. So for people who are not doing that realistically, What's going to happen to those people, the baby boomers who are now just starting to retire, who live to 1995, who have not put aside enough? What's going to happen to them? Well, um, you know, uh, often the family steps in. Um, it's become uh, more likely in recent years that, that, the, that they move in with their family if they have to. Um, you know, you may end up on, on Medicaid for, for health issues. Um, it, it's... It's not a pretty picture, frankly, if they, if they don't, or they, or they live on a very um, subsistence lifestyle. So that's the future. So, so there, there's a real payoff to paying attention to this, is what you're saying. To do it right instead of doing it wrong makes a huge difference in what kind of retirement life you're going to have. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's hard for a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old even to be thinking about retirement. They're just not focused in that way, and understandably so, but as we well know, um, because if you start putting money away earlier, you, even if you put away less, that, that $10 that you put away at 20 will grow to a much larger amount than if you put it away at 50. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart. She's the president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation based in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, their website is pfeef.org. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ, to stop setting goals, and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart. She's the president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation based in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, their website is pfeef.org. Welcome back to the show, Judith. Thank you very much. One area that uh, I, I hear more people uh, going into is borrowing against their retirement savings, borrowing against particularly their 401ks and so on. Is that a, a rising trend, and is there something that's dangerous about that and people should be forewarned against it? Uh, well, yes, because, because uh, you're not going to be able – I mean, even if you put the money back in, you will have lost the value of the, the um, investment that – uh, in all likelihood, it has risen during the time that you have taken it out. Um, and unfortunately, too often people don't have that chunk that they took out to put back. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taken it out. So they, they're, that really is not a good – it's really a last resort in terms of uh, looking for money that you might need at a particular time. But apparently there have been quite a few people doing it. There was this recent survey uh, from the Society of Human Resource Management saying that about 55% agreed that you know people are taking out more money than they really should be. And uh, maybe it's the last resort, maybe the only resort some of these people have to be able to survive is taking money out of their uh, retirement plans. Well, that may, that, that may be true. I mean, we've certainly seen, you know, the last few years that, that uh, the economy has not been in good shape and people uh, have lost jobs and so there may be only one income in a family instead of, Two and uh, you need to have money to survive. So uh, unfortunately, that that often uh, that may be what people have to do. In general, are employers uh, uh, improving or scaling back on employee benefit plans? I- employee benefit plans in general. Yeah, I mean, are they adding 401ks, adding matches, adding health insurance and so on, or are they tending to take it away? Uh, I have not seen that they're particularly taking it away. And, in fact, what we've seen with financial education, to the extent that they are able to add it, they do. And and with health um, issues, you know, one of the things, and we'll see the impact, you know, it remains to be seen of of the new health care law, but but health wellness has really taken hold within the corporate environment, and and more companies have uh, instituted plans that encourage people um, to be for preventive health maintenance, and we feel that they should be uh, encouraging people to do, so to speak, preventive um, financial education or financial wellness, as we call it. 
So what are some of the specific things that companies are doing uh, to help improve uh, the, the – there's the financial side and there's also the health side of their employees so that they cut down on their uh, medical insurance expenses? Right. Well, again, um, I'm not an expert in terms of all that they're doing with regard to the health side, but what we see, for instance, when we they provide uh, financial education and people's uh, financial wellness, if you will, or well-being improves, that there is a reduction in absenteeism. There may be even a reduction in turnover where people aren't looking for another job. Uh, you know, there's something called presenteeism where people are at work but they're not really focusing on, on their their work and, and they may be, if they're in financial distress, dealing with their finances. Uh, and the, all that gets reduced if corporations provide um, financial education uh, benefits. And specifically in the health area, aren't some companies uh, doing kind of a carrot and stick approach uh, if you smoke, if you're overweight, if you don't exercise, there are penalties. And if you're uh, healthy and eating right and exercising, there are rewards. Is, is that a, a, a growing trend within the employee population? Well, again, there, there is some of that. Um, I can't speak. I, I, I would suspect that's the case, but I, I'm not really an expert in that particular area. Okay. Um, so if you're an employee and you're offered various employee education options, uh, what are some things that people should take, take advantage of? I mean, are there seminars or what kind of online courses? I mean, people have limited time. What should they do to make the most of the education offerings that their employer may be offering? Well, um, you know, each employer probably has a, a different package. There are some financial education providers that provide the whole uh, bandwidth, if you will, uh, of um, opportunities. So there can be workshops, there can be online education, there can be what we refer to as this um, money coaching. Um, and, and one of the things that we, we well know is that people have different learning styles. So somebody who sits in a workshop um, and is able to ask, you know, general questions and, and, and get the overall sense of what they should be doing with their money that perhaps they haven't, um, can benefit from that, whereas somebody else may be more comfortable from online education. Um, I was just actually listening to a, a radio a show that talked about online education in general, which is, you know, the wave of the future, if you will, and, and the benefits and the, and the detriments to online education. Um, as in everything, no, no system is perfect, and, and people learn in different ways. And um, the, the key to financial education is it's like the horse. The horse isn't going to move uh, if the horse doesn't want to move, even if the carrot is there. Uh, well, maybe maybe for a horse, the carrot the carrot is enough of an incentive. But but people really have to want to uh, improve their financial situation. Um, and you know, it, it, and again, particularly if they haven't been paying attention. And they, they haven't hit bottom yet. And even in, in finances, like in, in other kinds of abuse, you, um, you can hit bottom. You can have so much debt that there's just no way that you can handle it. And then, uh, most people, um, pay attention. But, uh, you know, sometimes then they have to go into bankruptcy because they haven't handled their finances appropriately. So you're saying most people do not do education because they're not in distress. If everything seems to be going along okay, 
They don't see the real need for it. It's only once they get into trouble that they kind of start paying attention. Well, that's not everybody. Again, you know, the people have different styles, and, and some people, um, even if they're not in trouble, think, well, I, I do need to learn more about handle, how to handle my finances. And, again, what's happened in the last few years, I wanted to, you know, if there is a silver lining, it's that people have realized that the stock market doesn't just go up and up and that they have to understand better how to f- handle their finances um, and, you know, even look at their day-to-day finances in terms of what they were, were saving or not saving before. Um, so, you know, they it doesn't have to be that they hit bottom, but unfortunately often that is the case with, with people. So we talked before on the retirement side that you should think most people, if they could, should aim for about 10% of their salary to be saved, to be uh, invested in these plans. Um, how should they go about making the investment allocation decision, and what kind of education can they get that's going to help them? Because that's the biggest thing. Once people put the money in there, uh, they don't really have anybody to ask who's going to give them advice that people don't want liability, and they have sometimes a limited number of choices, sometimes a huge number of choices. How can people use the education given to them to make the correct asset allocation for their age and their risk tolerance? Yeah, well, um, you know, again, the, the one-word answer to that is diversify. Um, you know, you should not put all your money in one basket. And, uh, again, uh, risk tolerance, as you point out, is a, is a key issue. Um, you know, some people are more comfortable investing aggressively, although you should never have all your money you know, in, in, certainly in one stock or even in stocks, you, you always should have a balance of, of stocks and, and bonds and, and cash so that you have money for emergencies. Um, you know, and, and now uh, financial advisors are even looking at a broader spread. You know, perhaps people should have money in gold. That, unfortunately, and that's what makes investing so difficult, is there's no one answer that you should be putting your money in X or Y or even Z and then you're going to get the return that you want. And that's why you need to diversify um, and have some money, you know, invested in the market, probably in mutual funds, so that, you, the, again, you're, you're spreading um, your risk uh, that way as well, um, in addition to having money in bonds and, or in cash. Uh, some companies offer so-called self-directed accounts where people can buy individual stocks, um, you know, make riskier bets in some way. Do you recommend that people do that? Uh, again, it depends on your financial situation. Um, you know, I, I went to a meeting last week and there was a, a corporate executive said, well, he has all his money in the market. And I said to somebody, he has all his money in the market? He said, well, he can afford to have all his money in the market, i.e., you know, he's making so much money that if he loses some, it's okay. Well, the the issue in terms of buying individual stocks is, again, if you can spread the risk and you have, you know, uh, 20 or 25 individual stocks, that's like your own personal mutual fund. Um, but it requires paying more attention to uh, what's going on to your finances. And, and some people are uh, comfortable and enjoy handling their finances, and, and some people, um, you know, would rather not, frankly. One of the big areas of growth has been these so-called target funds, where they give you a specific date. You know, by 2025 or something, you'll have a certain amount. In general, do you think those are a good idea and have performed well or not? Well, uh, again, for people who don't want to spend a lot of time and effort in handling their money, 
that that's an option for them. Uh, performed well, you know. The, I think the jury really is out uh, with regard to that since they are a relatively new product. Okay, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart. She's president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation, based in Alexandria, Virginia. You can see she's a real expert on the whole subject of employee uh, financial education. Uh, their website is pfeef.org. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart. She's president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation based in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, their website is pfeef.org. Welcome back to the show, Judith. Thank you. Um, there's lots of companies offering different kinds of personal financial education. Uh, maybe tell me about one or two of them that are doing a particularly good job and what kind of things they're doing for their employees. Well, the, the company who... Uh, we've worked with recently that really has an emphasis starting from the CEO. It's like anything else. If the CEO is in support of something, you know that that's going to happen uh, at your company. And this is uh, Meredith Publications, and they actually have someone in their human resources department whose title is Health and Financial Wellness. Um, and they really, you know, on an ongoing basis and provi- are providing workshops in financial education um, and seeing the benefits in terms of, uh, grow- you know, productivity improving within the organization. Um, and-, and they provide incentives for people, you know, to come to these workshops. They really believe not only that it's a benefit to the company, but they really want their employees, like, you know, uh, 
there are people who have these altruistic desires, even if they are employers, to see that their company, that their employees are handling their finances well and are going to be able to retire comfortably. So, um, what are the benefits to the employers of having employees in better financial shape and more knowledgeable and doing the right things for their finances? Well, there are, unfortunately, as we discussed before, people who are in financial distress, and there have been various studies over over the years looking at that. But but maybe, you know, as many as 30% of employees are not handling their finances appropriately. And so, as, you know, I indicated before, what happens is then they're distracted at work at the, at the very least because they're, they're worried about their finances not being handled properly or they may be getting calls related to their finances at work. So they're not, they're not focusing, they're not being productive or they may even be absent from work or may end up with health issues. In fact, one of the things that studies show is that there's a relationship between, um, healthcare and, and financial stress. In fact, I saw one study that said, you know, there was a 60% that, that 60% of health issues were related to financial stress. Well, you know, the studies come up with lots of different numbers. So, but what it proves is there certainly is a, a large correlation between, uh, financial distress or financial stress and health issues, and so you have absenteeism. Um, or you might even have turnover, and as we know, that's a large um, cost for a company to have to hire a new employee, uh, but they, the, the person may feel that they just have to get a better job if possible. So uh, are there studies on uh, companies that have done a lot of financial education like Meredith, and that what, what kind of improvement does that show in the financial stress levels and productivity and turnover of their employees? Well, it depends on the particular company. But we have, for instance, on our website what we call the Personal Financial Wellness Scale, which is a simple eight-question scale that anybody can go to to uh, just get it to gauge their level of financial well-being, and it, and it just asks general questions in terms of how they feel about how they are handling their finances. Um, and then, depending on the score, whether it's, you know, one to four or uh, average five or six, most, the, the company, when, when the company, the country, when we did this study initially, it, it showed that, that the average was around five or six that, that uh, people had. In other words, you know, not everybody is in financial distress, uh, fortunately. But depending on what their score is, they get a different suggestions as, a, as to what they might be doing to improve their finances. And, you know, if, they, if they're doing well, then, you know, they need to make sure that they have a will and that they that they're, um, have health care proxies and, and all those other kinds of things that are, are sort of, unfortunately, the, the last things that people think of, although they're very important that people have them. Now, we've been talking mostly about large employers. What's happening with medium and smaller size employers? not public corporations, but family businesses and so on, are they doing even worse? Or what is their situation as far as employee education and general financial health of their employees? Well, you know, as you can imagine, uh, a mom-and-pop operation uh, is unlikely to be able to provide any kind of uh, benefits. They're lucky if they can provide health care benefits. Uh, so it's harder for them to to provide financial education. Um you know, it, it, it is it is the larger organization that has the resources to be able to f- provide the financial education. So, 
So people, I mean, there are ways, as we talked about before, there are resources on the net uh, where people can get uh, information about how to handle their finances, not at their, um, at their work site as well. So that's what you'd recommend for an employee of a small company who's not being offered financial education. They should go to your website, or where should they go to, to get some education? Well, if they go to our website, they'll, they'll see something that says resources, and there's a long list, depending on what they're looking for, of the kind of, uh, of different kinds of resources that they can, they can get. Uh, but there are many, if, if they put in, you know, the, just uh, the, the Google or, or whatever, um, you know, uh, way they want to get into, into the internet, that they're, innumerable number of sites for financial education, and there are plenty of books. I mean, you know, uh, books are old-fashioned, but there are plenty of books on uh, on handling your finances, from, from basic finances on, you know, the, the, the dummy books to, to all sorts of books on uh, financial education um, that, that uh, people can uh, benefit from, from uh, reading. What role is the government federal government playing in all of this. There is an Office of Financial Education. I think it's part of the Treasury Department. And there's the Labor Department, which oversees employee benefits. What initiatives are coming out of the government to improve financial education at employee level? Well, they have a, there's a, a President's Council on Financial Education, and they're looking at the raft of um, areas, you know, from, from the workplace and partnerships. But there's a lot of emphasis on uh, teaching young people how to handle their money, uh, again, whether in schools or after school, uh, emphasis on uh, people who, you know, don't have a lot of money to be able to handle their money better. Uh, the uh, the council really is trying to to get a, a more uh, more focus in general in the country on on handling finances more appropriately. So what is going on at that level, at uh, the high school and college level? Are things getting better in the financial education world? And, and employees, and people are graduating with more financial knowledge than previous generations? Um, well, uh, unfortunately, uh, there's not a clear answer on that. There's been something called the Jumpstart Coalition, which started, I believe, in 1994. So it, it's been around now for... Um, Good Lord, over 15 years. Um, and what they find is that some more states are mandating financial education in the classroom, and so there are more students taking financial education. And they've tried to test for that, but they have not necessarily seen that the scores have gone up. Um, the people who are working, and this sort of goes to the – the idea that you should have financial education in the workplace, but the kids who have part-time jobs have a better understanding of how to handle their their finances. Um, I suppose it's like anything else. You know, if you have the money uh, available that you have to really think about how you're spending it, you're more likely to to do it. Um, And, again, it's something, even though we have it in the schools, that, that people take their cues from what's happening at home. So if their parents are handling their finances well, um, then it's more likely that uh, they will get the quote-unquote education they need to handle their finances uh, appropriately. Of course, the big problem today for college students is getting a job in the first place. And so I heard the latest number was 85% of college graduates this year are going to be going and living at home. 
because they can't find jobs. Wow. 85% is what I've heard, yes. That, um, you know, they just can't get jobs at all or certainly maybe unpaid internships or certainly not enough to pay back their student loans. So they're not thinking about retirement. <laughs> they're, they're in survival mode right now in many cases. Yeah, and that's, that's a very unfortunate uh, situation in our economy. And, and yet I've seen statistics that, you know, maybe – uh, the unemployment rate for college students is 4% or, or college graduates, whereas the unemployment rate for uh, high school graduates is much higher, as, as we know, um, you know, because the overall unemployment rate is, is I guess, now 8.1. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, health insurance, because that's clearly one of the big benefits uh, that is offered by companies, in some cases not being offered by companies. What are the correct decisions people should be making and they have choices to make, making like an HMO versus a PPO versus traditional plans. What are some of the things people should be learning about in making the right decisions as far as health insurance? Well, again, it depends on somebody's individual uh, finances in terms of how much they have that they can put toward uh, health insurance. You know, an HMO generally uh, is less expensive than uh, a PPO. Uh, but then you are limited to the doctors in that HMO. Um, so if, if people are comfortable with that, that's a good way to go. Um, if people feel they want to have more choice of their, of their doctors, then they, they need a plan which enables them to have more flexibility. Um, you know, as in most things, it, it, often it comes down to how much money they have available to put toward something like health insurance. What, what is your sense of what's going to happen Assuming the health care plan uh, goes through and goes into law and fully in effect in 2014, how is that going to affect the kind of health benefits that employers offer uh, when you've got these health exchanges and everything that's going to happen with health care? Well, I wish I knew the answer to that, but, you know, there certainly are people who are saying that fewer employers are going to be offering health care. Um, I think it remains to be seen. It remains to be seen what the Supreme Court is going to do. Um, you know, everything is a little bit up in the air now with regard to the the health care uh, law. Well, it is. I was just saying, assuming the Supreme Court upholds the constitutionality and it goes ahead as expected, is that what you, you would expect as employers would be cutting back on health insurance coverage because they kind of dump people onto the federal plans? Well, you know, I've certainly been at conferences where, you know, the, the HR people at the table I was sitting with, you know, were looking at that as an option. Now, whether that comes to fruition remains to be seen. And, again, I think, you know, like the, the, the Meredith Corporation that believes in financial wellness, if a company really believes in health uh, wellness for the employees, I think they're likely to continue to provide that, that health care benefit uh, for their employee. Even if the expense rises dramatically, as it has been lately. Well, Again, you know, it, for the employer as well as for the employee, uh, expenses uh, affect what they do. If it gets to be so high that they feel it's just not feasible, then uh, they won't provide it. That's what's been happening in, in many cases. Okay, we're going to uh, take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart. She is president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation based in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, their website is pfeef.org. They've got all kinds of resources to help you uh, learn about uh, employee education and how to make the most of your benefits. We'll be back after this. 
the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Judith Cohart. She's the president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation based in Alexandria, Virginia. Their website, pfeef.org. Welcome back, Judith. Thank you. One area you're saying that people should do a better job of is kind of day-to-day money management and budgeting. What are people doing wrong and what should they do better in that area? Well, the the simple thing they're doing wrong is um, not paying attention when they go to Starbucks and get that proverbial cup of coffee, which uh, if we talk about health care costs increasing, so, so are coffee costs. Um, and the people who handle their money well know how much money they're taking in and know how much money is going out. And, and uh, the simple way to do that is you can even do it on a scrap paper. It's just to look at, if, if not for a month, look at for a week how much money you're spending, whether whether it's on that debit card or credit card or um, cash. You know, we, we still use cash occasionally these days um, so that we, we have a sense of, of what our expenses are and then we can better budget to know uh, how to put money away for the, in savings for an emergency fund, uh, and of course, uh, for retirement, as we were talking about before. Do you find that people underestimate their expenses and overestimate their income? They're kind of too optimistic. Uh, no question about that. So, what should they do to be more realistic if they're well, constantly by, missing? By by sitting down and doing that the hard numbers, you know, to to put down. Uh, and, there, and there are lots of budget books out there where you can um, list all the the income you're getting from from different sources, and then list all the different ways you're spending money. Whether 
you know, uh, it used to be that you spent money on a, on a phone, the, the old landline phone, and, and now you're, you're spending money on, on your smartphone, you know, which in, includes text messages and um, on cable TV and on the Internet, and one can go on and on in terms of the, the ways that we could spend money. So the more that we have control of what we're spending, the more we can make decisions. People don't make decisions about how they're spending money. They just spend it. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and then uh, I, talk, I want to talk briefly about credit because uh, people uh, in many cases are not really aware of their credit ratings and their credit scores and what could make it go up and go down. What impact does that have on being an employee or even getting a job in the first place? Well, uh, more and more employers are looking at credit uh, ratings and, you know, depending on the kind of job you have, if you're going to be handling your money, they want to make sure that you're handling your money appropriately. So, again, um, if you're paying your bills on time and you haven't run into debt, you're going to have a better credit rating and uh, you're going to have a, you know, better chance of, of getting that job that you want. So you're saying if you have a bad credit rating, you actually may be denied a job just because of that. That could be a major factor in denying you uh, that job. Again, it's going to depend on the particular job and the particular employer, uh, but but that is a possibility. And even, I think, in the military, security clearances in some kinds are based on having a good credit record that if you have bad credit uh, habits, that can make you lose your security clearance. Well, that makes sense. Again, it puts you at risk. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Um, all right. Now, there was a recent study uh, by the um, – Society for Human Resources Management, uh, that asked uh, HR people uh, questions about uh, how employees are dipping into their retirement savings plans compared to previous years. What are some of the results that came out of that survey, and what is the significance of that? Well, uh, the overall significance is, you know, it has an impact, as we were talking about, on productivity. But some of the results, for example, it said almost 50% of HR professionals uh, said that employees were struggling with their ability to focus on work. Uh, and that, uh, again, almost half had issues with overall employee stress. Uh, and that, uh, you know, the maybe a quarter this observed an, a negative impact on overall employee productivity. Um, and that it led to, you know, a quarter of people who we were talking about before being absent or perhaps just tardy, but even so that makes a difference. Um, and that it even had an impact on employee morale. Um, and, again, as we were talking about health issues, um, you know, they said maybe about 12% it affected employee health. I think that um, I, I, my sense is this is a, a higher correlation between employee health and, uh, and, and stress. So you're saying that by offering education, uh, all these things can be mitigated, that people are able to focus on work better, they have less stress, their health is better, their morale is better, uh, and you've seen specific examples of that. Absolutely. Can you just maybe tell us a story or two of where you've seen that happen, what, what a difference it makes to have good education? Well, it, the people send in, I was, I was talking about the, the uh, Meredith Corporation before, you know, people, people send in anecdotes when you survey them that say, as a result, you know, I, I am doing a better job at work. I'm handling my finances better. I feel happier. I mean, the things that you would expect, they, they tell you this is the case. How is the United States doing compared to the rest of the world in employee education? 
uh, with finances. Yes. I'd say we're doing okay, but it is interesting to me how many calls I get from overseas, from the Philippines or from India or from Britain, uh, where these countries as well notice that there's an issue with, with financial education and employee financial education. So you're saying they're behind us. They're calling you because they want to learn how it's being done. They do not do as much as we do now is what you're saying. Well, again, I haven't, I haven't surveyed them, and I'm always careful, I guess, as to what I say, but they certainly are interested in what we're doing. Uh, and I would, I would say I'm, I was surprised at the number of calls when I took over this job that I would get from or emails from overseas uh, and all over, you know, Africa, South America, as well as, as Europe and uh, Asia. Yeah, okay. All right, so kind of in summing up the whole situation, as an employee, what are some of the proactive steps you can take to educate yourself to be able to manage your money better, to therefore be a better employee? Well, uh, again, to check out whether your employer is offering financial education, and if they are, to make sure that you enroll in that class, whether it, it's a workshop or online or take advantage of the EAP, if, it, if it's uh, providing, you know, uh, one-on-one counseling or if not, to, to uh, either go to your, your library, there's still our libraries, and check out a book um, that, you know, seems to go to the issue that you're looking at, even if it, it's something like, you know, mortgages, uh, which as we saw people needed to, to know more about uh, how much they could afford to spend on a mortgage, or, uh, you know, hand, handling credit. There, as I said earlier, there are lots of books out there. There's lots of information on the website, there's no excuse for not educating yourself more on how to handle your finances. So in general, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the state of financial education employers? Is it getting better or, or worse based on your efforts? Uh, well, I would say that it's, it's getting better. More and more employers are seeing that it's a win-win, that it's not only a value to the employee to be handling their finances better, but it's a value to the employer as well. Very good. Okay, well, that's been very interesting. Uh, certainly, if you're an employee, you want to take full advantage of anything your your company is offering as far as health benefits, matches with your 401K, uh, budgeting uh, advice, because if you don't do it for yourself, nobody's going to do it for you, I would say. Uh, thanks again. My guest uh, this hour has been Judith Cohart. She's the president of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation uh, based in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, her website is pfeef.org. They've got lots of websites and resources there to help people with their financial education. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show. You're quite welcome. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.